Welcome back, listeners, to a brand new episode of The New Standard. And as always, I have my partner in crime to my left. What's up, Big Neil? Well, it's the fantastic day. I love this time of the year. This is right on the edge of the eve of business season. We had an active day yesterday across the NFL. There's going to be a lot more of that coming between now and the start of the league year, which is 4 p.m. Eastern Tuesday, March 15th. The tampering period kicks off, or is it Wednesday? Sorry, Wednesday, uh, March 15th. Uh, the tampering period kicks off Monday at noon Eastern, in which case we will hear all of the speculation, the beautiful, glorious speculation of who's going where and probably for how much, even though they're not supposed to talk about it, but they do anyway. We're right in front of that, Lance. I love this time of the year. Things are things are going great. There's your long answer. Yeah, I've been getting calls myself. Uh, you know, I've been getting calls to be a long snapper, so I'm yeah. even in demand. So tell you what, you, you get that gig, man. They, they, that's that's a that's in high demand. If it, and you ask any college offensive lineman who's about six five, three hundred somewhere in there with some athleticism, if they haven't tried long snapping. At some point, they're they're lying to you if they say no. Uh, they all will because those jobs are lucrative, and uh, if if you can be consistent, you can put together a great career uh, without having to do a whole lot except you know be perfect every time you snap the ball, <laughs> which I can't imagine is easy, but uh, it's worth the risk in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely I've been uh you know I've definitely been working out, getting the neck strong. There so when go. I get hit in the head, yeah, I'm getting and my wrist strength. You know, I got the uh, little dumbbell thing. You know, I'm doing my wrist curls. And so, yeah, I'm going to be the oldest long snapper, 52-year-old long snapper in the NFL. I, 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 I'm I, ready to go. So when you hear uh, Lance Williams getting a one-year uh, guaranteed contract for 750 k if you don't see the show, hey, man, I'm out long snapping. So better I just, minimum's half that, Lance. But you know what? It's uh, probably I'll take half that now, right? I, I, I know it's I'll more take than that. Um, so yeah. So hey. So if you don't see the show next week, I'm in camp. Um, I'm in mini camp, long snapping. Uh, I'm doing <laughs> some accounting work for some of the players as well <laughs> Part, as part-time long cap snapping. management, long yes, snapper, yes. Lance Williams, and I'm cooking meals as well. Still cut <laughs> oats. Uh, I'm doing everything. But with that. So also we'll be doing a show in a back closet at the Steeler facility as well. So uh, if you want to, yeah, <laughs> if you, oh no, I'm going to move my office upstairs like Russell Wilson. So uh, if you want to catch the show, always you can hit us uh, at YouTube, go do a search for the new standard and check us out via podcast by doing a search for the new standard. I want to jump right into it because we've got an action packed show. And the name of the show is called What's the Standard? And so a lot has been echoed and said about the standard is the standard, the new standard, all these type of standards, the fan standards. Everyone has standards when it comes down to the Pittsburgh Steelers. What's your standard as we go into this business season? When you think of the standard, the standard is a standard and all these standards, what do you think of, Neil? When I say, or when I ask you, what's the standard for the Pittsburgh Steelers? The standard, truthfully, you want to know the truth? It's, it, it's a colloquialism. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a buzzword. Um, I think it, it, a less pessimistic view is probably also a, a fair and, and, and true, I think it's a cultural statement. I think people take it far too literally. Um, when it first kind of came out early on in Mike Tomlin's uh, tenure with the Steelers, the idea was really more um, he, what he was specifically talking about was um, an injury situation. The next guy up uh, replaces whoever was there and that the expectation doesn't change because the standard is the standard. Um doesn't take a genius to know that that mentality uh, in in practice isn't feasible you, you can't do that um, in a salary cap league there's almost no way your backup is going to be better than your starter I understand that in, in some situations it may seem like that but there's a reason the starter is there and the backup isn't um, when 
Ben Roethlisberger went down, Mike Tomlin is going to tell you in a press conference that the expectations for Landry Jones don't change. Watch the games, okay? There's no way they asked Jones to do the things that they asked Ben to do. Your game plan has to change. Uh, I'd be pretty stupid if it didn't. But you don't let Landry Jones off the hook either. He has a, a, a he has the opportunity at that point to show his worth, to add you know a year or two to his contract um, and, and you know pliability within the league. You want him to have high standards for himself. You want him to have those expectations. That to me, that's cultural. It's, it's what the expectations are and it's what players are willing to do to reach that. You want those kinds of players who are not afraid of the challenge, who are not going to use an excuse. You want guys who are ready to fill in and give a hundred percent, do their jobs to the best of their ability for the sake of the team. So the standard is the standard is more figurative than, than literal. And the idea I think behind it, the standard itself is something of effort, uh, teamwork, um, collaboration. To me, I I think the best story I, I really wish, you know, well, I guess we don't even really try to get people on, but if we could get Brett Kiesel, um, Aaron Smith, some of the older defensive linemen to come on, or maybe just we ask Cam Hayward at some point what he would say. The longstanding tradition with Steelers defensive linemen have been helping out uh, who's probably the next guy, whoever that happens to be. It was Cam Hayward at one point. It was Brett Kiesel at one point. They all spoke about the veterans who were there before them going through drills, teaching them different tricks and things like that. That's not common in the NFL. You, you don't want to give an advantage to the guy who's cheaper and younger and probably there to take your job. But the Steelers had a culture of passing it on. They want the next generation to take responsibility uh, over what they've built before them. And this is a franchise that has had um, epic defensive linemen, legends. You know, We know about the Steel Curtain. That's really what the Steel Curtain was. It was their front four everyone else kind of mooched into it. Um, they passed it on to whoever was next. And the idea was to build this tradition of helping one another for the sake of the team. I think that's the standard. I, to me, I, you hear those stories and they're legitimate. You know, other people are going to say this guy or that guy, you know, he'd always help out. It was a point of emphasis among the players. This wasn't mandated by anybody. Um, Aaron Smith helped Cam Hayward. Cam Hayward is going to help DeMarvin Leal. It, it, you know that they're going to continue to do this um, you know, throughout uh, the existence of the team because they have a, a, a reputation they want to live up to. And they, this is what Steelers football is, in my opinion. So that, that's my very long-winded answer to, to that. I'm on a roll today. <laughs> the northern wind is rolling. <laughs> no, that's the autumn wind, and that's the yes, Raiders. The Raiders. And- and, you know, I'm always going to mix up cliches and, and mess stuff up. I'm going to go to. Yes, I'm going to go to Webster's and I'm going to give you the definition, the Webster's definition of standard, a level of quality or attainment. Now, from the fan perspective. If the standard is championships and winning playoff games and being as competitive as possible, then the standard has not been met recently and the bar is shifting. So that's why I asked this question because I think it's an amorphous one because it changes with everyone and it shifts. But if the standard is excellence, I think that standard hasn't been met consistently enough over the course of the last several years. So I agree with you, Neil. I think the standard is part of the culture that has been created with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Each one, teach one, pass it along the locker room. And we'll talk about the locker room grade later in the show uh, that there's no haters on this team. 
uh, that the knowledge is passed down. You got it, you pass it down. That's that's the standard here. The standard is each one teach one. We put a hand out, we pull you up as I got pulled up. And it's a culture of, and that's the culture inside the building. But the standard of winning is on shaky footing right now. And I think a lot of fans, rightfully so, including myself, are frustrated because the standard seems to be treading water as opposed to really legitimately uh, competing for a championship. So these next few years are going to be very interesting. Now, talking about competing for a championship, we talked ad nauseum on this show about Mitch Trubisky. Are you surprised by anything that uh, Omar Khan has said? Because he really sounds like he's doubling down on, on Mitch being here. He said Mitch has been great. It's been great to have him around. I would look forward to having him around for a long time, not only this year, but for a long time. He talked about Mitch's presence being a veteran presence in the locker room. I think any young quarterback will tell you having a veteran presence around him is tremendous, especially if you have a guy like Mitch that handles things so well, key things so well. And that sounds like Mitch is okay with being a number two and getting checks and essentially being the quarterback long snapper for the Pittsburgh Steelers. You surprised that Mitch is going to be around for the long haul? Um, I'm not. If he is, uh, I don't know if that's 100% confirmed. I, I think one thing we need to remember, and I, I will we'll probably get into the Lamar Jackson situation here uh, soon enough, but one thing we need to remember is none of these people are speaking in front of Congress. They're not under oath. Okay, it, it really, I, it, here's what we know. Realistically, I don't think the Steelers want to pay Mitch Trubisky $8 million this year. That doesn't mean they don't want him. But what they probably want, and this, this would take root in what Rooney said, in what Khan has said. I agree with this, by the way. This is something I've talked about in this show many times. An extension for Trubisky probably makes the most sense for everybody. I don't blame Trubisky for wanting to be part of a quarterback market that's seeing Daniel Jones get $40 million APY. Yikes. At the same time, though, the reason Daniel Jones is getting $40 million APY is because Mitch Trubisky is a legitimate alternative if they don't want to start in quarterback. If they don't want to sign Jones, this is probably the kind of level you're going to get. So while that drives the price up for everybody, what the Steelers need to look at is continuity. They respect continuity in their backup quarterbacks. I think there is a lot of wisdom in the idea that your backup quarterback is a top 20 roster position. I, I believe that firmly. Um, Trubisky being a top 20 player on your roster, maybe that's a little bit of a stretch, but let's look at it like this. He's a veteran. He's started for you. He's played within this offense. He understands – don't, don't undermine the value of a player – who knows the other players, somebody who's been there because Let me cut you off real quick, Neil, you know what I thought you were going to say? He's a guy with two arms, two legs. <laughs> well, he's got and, one arm. I know that. And a heart. Not sure which one it is, but <laughs> they, they could get a variety of guys like that. Yes. You could go get Jacoby Brissett. Could Jacoby Brissett outproduce Trubisky in an even playing field? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm not against that idea, but here's the bottom line. Jacoby Brissett has never set foot in the Steelers' facility, as far as I know. He doesn't know the players on the team. There's a learning curve, and when you're not going to get reps, it, it, it's probably not as beneficial to you as you might think. Ideally, you want Kenny Pickett starting 17 games. You don't want Mitch Trubisky to see the field. You really don't, okay? But at the same time, Pickett's had two concussions, in this season alone, and he only played two-thirds of the year, there's a risk there. You need a veteran who you don't have to worry about prepping. You don't have to worry about them getting acclimated to what's going on. You need to have that solidity, and I think that's what they're talking about. They signed him to a, a two-year contract, and there's a reason why he has an $8 million salary in year two. He took a, a step up in base salary. 
for both sides, it's a raise for him, as in if he's going to be the starter again, he's getting more money. If you keep him, he's going to have more money. Even if that's as a backup, he's going to be a very expensive backup. If you don't want him as that, cut him, and he gets to go and be a free agent. That's what they would ultimately have wanted to, to see happen because – he thinks he's a starting quarterback. There's a lot of money that's out there right now. So keep that in mind. It's not always about the ability of the player. It's about uh, the market in, in general. Okay. I, I, we're not going to break it down to this level, but I am sure we could probably agree draft class, notwithstanding right now, there are five, six, maybe seven outstanding NFL quarterbacks. Now, they set the bar pretty high. I don't want to say that the ones behind that are, are junk, but they're not at that level. There's another five or six of them. After that, huge drop-off. Barring rookies who were just drafted, the veteran quarterback market, they're, on the, they're out in free agency for a reason. Okay, what, what I mean by that is if it's not Trubisky right now, it's Baker Mayfield. Okay, Gardner it Minshew. was Nick Foles. Yeah, Gardner Minshew. These are not these are players who have had multiple opportunities to be starters and didn't win the job. They didn't earn it. They didn't get the, the big extension. Baker Mayfield lost tens of millions of dollars in poor performances over his last ten starts. He, he fell three, apart. He was on three teams last year. Yeah, yeah, and he's gonna <laughs> be on four and he's not gonna get paid much. That's what the market, when I say not paid much, he's going to get something between Trubisky and probably like Cousins, you know, so depending on what the team need is. But to have that veteran backup who's a potential starter, the price goes way up on that. So Trubisky's $8 million is not going to look like a whole lot on the market, and especially considering, uh, with the exception of Mason Rudolph, there's not another backup quarterback in the NFL who knows the Steelers personnel currently. So he has value for me. If I were in charge and I, I certainly don't need to tell Omar Khan what to do on anything. They want to get an extension. They want to get two, maybe even three years and pay him a little bit less. That's going to make it kind of hard, especially for three years. I could see them tearing up this year and signing him to a two year deal, something like 12 million, probably guarantee three or four, something like that. Uh, they would like to have a, a steady veteran backup that they know signed for the next two years, considering pickets. I, I, I'm sorry people don't like this, but it, you know his, his health concerns, you have to worry about that, and continuity. So Trubisky has value beyond him just being on the field because, again, worst-case scenario is Mitch Trubisky plays. You don't want that. But worst-case scenario is any backup playing. Yeah. Over your quarterback. That's the NFL. Yeah. In a salary cap league with the, the, the few amount of reps that a starter is going to get anyway, your backup is they need to be uh, ready at the drop of a hat, which takes experience. And they need to have some familiarity about how things work because it, their role really is more or less a, a kind of a glorified quarterback's coach. They're going to prepare the starter. They're there to watch things. They have assignments on game day. That's why they, they are, you know, they're dressed, obviously. You see them with clipboards and stuff like that, with headphones on. They're communicating. There are things that they do to earn their money. That's why the Steelers always went after Charlie Batch, Byron Leftwich, uh, Bruce Gradkowski. All of these guys had starting experience before they came to Pittsburgh. You mean backup quarterbacks just aren't over-glorified weed carriers? Um, well, I, I think they can do both. I, I don't, you know, I don't think that's, I don't think that's impossible. <laughs> you know what, Neil? It's hilarious when you talked about, you know, Omar Khan, you know, he's not testifying in front of Congress, but some of these guys, you know, even if they testified in front of Congress, they still would not give away shop secrets. Yeah. They would, yeah, they're just, they're they not. would still lie in a way in which, they would not be held accountable. Let's they just assume it it, it's, it's good natured. I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm saying that they are probably not revealing their true thoughts on whatever it is. Trubisky's value is in line with what Khan is saying. His salary, though, is not. I don't think they want to pay him $8 million for one more year. I think they would much rather pay him 
12 over the next two. That makes far more sense for the Steelers. I think it makes more sense for Trubisky. I think he needs to kind of accept the fact that this is going to be his role. And he's still going to bank probably $30 million before his career is over. You know, that that's how valuable this position is. He shouldn't think he can go out in the market and compete to be a starter. I, I really don't feel that he should do that. Um, but when you see Marcus Mariota sign for eight, nine to, to be a starter, the same way Trubisky was, you know that those opportunities are going to continue to be out there. The difference is last year was not a, a good quarterback draft. And oddly enough, the Steelers are the team that draft the quarterback that plays uh, extensive time. This is a quarterback draft. So the opportunity for, for Trubisky is not going to be there. You know, Nobody is going to pay him to be a starter with, in my opinion, three and a half horses to be taken in the first five picks of this draft. One of them I'm not so sure about. The other three, though, are, are, are dudes. They're going to get drafted high. So you, you put that together, it's not going to be a high-priced backup quarterback market. That's just my opinion. You know, looking at uh, the cap implications with Trubisky currently, he's due $8 million in salary. His proration is 2.625. So that gives him a cap number of 10.6. If they were to cut him pre-June 1st, of course, they would take the hit on the proration of 2.625. The cap savings would be $8 million. So, you know, he has one of those deals where, uh, you know, he's like Sicily. He's the Italy's boot. Uh, and, you know, he has a deal in which he could get severed quickly. But for everything that you said, and I think what Omar Khan said, um, I think we probably see him in Pittsburgh for the foreseeable future it's much whether he's lying or not it's much better than the gm saying uh he sucks uh we're not gonna, we're gonna move forward <laughs> exactly. that guy. I mean, it's much the better than GM that. to say that will, will have made history I, I i for the sake of my business and my job i wish somebody would but um you, you're not going to see that and i don't think in that role anybody who's listened to this show over the last roughly 365 days knows my feelings about Mitch Trubisky as a starting quarterback. Mitch is the man. It still makes me mad. (laughs) I I was irrational at the time. It played out probably how I should have thought that it was going to play out. And everybody is better for it. They're they're a better team. They have a a, a quarterback that they're confident in that he's going to continue to develop. And Trubisky becomes the right backup. You know, okay, that makes sense. Got to pay 8 million. It's not my money, but eight million ain't ain't nothing, you know. I mean, <laughs> that's a lot of money, uh, even for a backup quarterback. You probably want to shave that down a little bit, and you'd like to lower the cap while solidifying the position for the next two years. A so double it, H it makes sense. Neil yes, does. Neil loves Mitch. That's going to be our first. You oh, know, my man. goal is to have some merch this year, um, and that might be one of the shirts. Hashtag. Neil loves Mitch. We'll do them in gold and black, and then we'll change the the, the the coloring of Neil loves Mitch on each particular shirt. Let me ask you this real quick. There was a, 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 a and the really reason I want to talk about this is because Steeler Nation knocks this guy. I think we've shown some appreciation for his play. Who, who do you think has been was called last week the quiet assassin? think all the Steelers was given that nickname uh, this year this year the quiet assassin uh, Cam Sutton probably be the guy that I'd look at it was Deontay Johnson did you see the comments where Darius Slay said Deontay is a dog he's a quiet assassin he reminds me a lot of AB man is a great he's a great vertical guy it, it doesn't shock me that he gets the respect of his peers. I don't know if he's a great vertical guy. I'm not covering him. But I think DJ is one of those guys on the Steelers that's underappreciated. His ability to route run, get up, get separation, get open, and make plays. He just doesn't have, and we're going to talk about the combine, top in quote-unquote air quotes traits. He just doesn't have top in traits but are you surprised by uh the type of uh adulation that uh he was given by Darius Slay I yes <laughs> um 
I, I, I'll, I'll say this, you know, nicknames and monikers, cliches like silent assassin, it, it can mean a lot of things. Yes. The point I was going to make is what double H just pointed out. Um, yeah, he's silent in the sense he doesn't score. I, mean, <laughs> I guess it works. I'm not sure if that's so positive, but no, I, it, if anything, I, I wish Deontay Johnson spoke less. He, he was silent. I, I think that's been more of his problem. Um, no, I, it, it, nobody should question uh, my thoughts on, on Deontay Johnson. I feel I've been fair on him. Um, he blocked me on Twitter. I know that. And I don't think I've ever really like savagely ripped him. You know, I'm mad you didn't tell me that, Neil, because we have to celebrate every time we get blocked. So thank you. I don't, it just, I'm confused. It, it's, you know, it happens. It's, it's, <laughs> It's part, part of, of my business. job sometimes. Yes. Um, some of them don't like it, and they want to block out any and all negativity. Um, I, I don't feel I was unfairly critical about him. And at the same time, I promise you, nobody was as excited about that pick as I was when they took him in the third round a couple of years ago. Um, the part I hang up on, and with all due respect to Darius Slay, a phenomenal player, one of the best of his generation, Um comparing Deontay Johnson to Antonio Brown is comparing a, a, a Ferrari to like a Toyota Camry. It, it's, it, it can't be done except for the fact that they both drive down the road. He's not anywhere <laughs> close. I, I am not going to get into it again. Maybe, maybe one day just tell me that we're recording a show. Don't actually record it, but let me just go off for 60 minutes about how good Antonio Brown was in, in, in his day. I, p- people in Pittsburgh don't appreciate it because he went nuts. And I know that he went nuts. Whatever. I, I, fine. I, I can't deny that. It, Antonio Brown is legitimately one of the three best players that's ever played for this, this franchise. And I, I should be a first ballot Hall of Famer. If he didn't go crazy, nobody would be disputing that. You know, if, if Deontay if, Johnson is a good NFL wide receiver, Deontay Johnson can't carry Antonio Brown's jock. And if that's why Deontay Johnson blocked me, fine. I don't care. I'll 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 fight for that hill all day. You know, I I think Antonio Brown would still be going to the Hall of Fame if not for the recent pool incident. And his bad rap LP. That's what yeah. did it. That's what did it. It was the pull incident and the rap he LP. He had enough because he can't rap. He has no bars. If he had bars, <laughs> I think he would go to the Hall of Fame. But he has no bars. Let me ask you something. Are you surprised at what happens? Or what happened to Lamar? You think Lamar is going to be a Raven? Um, and if he's not a Raven, how do you think that impacts the division? I think it's 70 30. He's gone. Um, I think the compensation of two first round picks, I'd give up two first round picks if I thought I was fairly close or if I needed a quarterback uh, to get Lamar uh, and pay him. And if Daniel Jones got 40 million, I'm guessing Lamar starts at 45 easily, 45, 47. And I would think that Lamar is never going to play for the Ravens again if they don't get a deal done. I figure he'd sit out because you're, you're not going to, make considerably less than Geno Smith and and play for and less than Daniel Jones. You're just not going to do it if you're a quarterback of the level of Lamar. And I think if Lamar is out of the division, it just helps the Steelers. The Steelers will have the the third, not the fourth best quarterback in the division, but the third best quarterback in the division now. <laughs> They'll bump up one. So, I mean, I think it only helps the Steelers. But how do you think this Lamar situation plays out over time all right there, there's a lot to unpack with this and and frankly i've had um internal and external uh arguments with people about this that they're, they're people aren't aren't looking at this from the proper perspective there are a lot of different things that are going on here the crux of my argument is going to be this entire thing was set in motion last year none of this is a surprise to anybody um i understand people thinking that he needs an agent doesn't need an agent to do what he did that, or he can have me as his agent. I could argue this all day. It's not hard from either perspective. It's not hard. He was franchise tagged. He was given the non-exclusive franchise tag because the Ravens want him to go out and, and see for himself the market they feel that he has. 
if he is able to do that and they want to give up something for him, they can. Or the Ravens can say, okay, you found it. We'll sign it. Come play for us if that's the amount that you want. We just wanted proof of that. I know that because the Steelers do that all the time. It's not rare for them at all to let a player walk into free agency, see what's there, and if the player uh, comes back and says, all right, well, they gave me this, you know, what do you think? I'd rather play here. And they may sign him and they may not. I know that, um, you remember back in the day, uh, Keenan Lewis, the, the cornerback that everybody loved in Pittsburgh, he did the same thing. They let him walk into a market. He found a price that he wanted. They didn't want to pay it. I think it was with the Saints back then. And a big part of the reason why the Steelers didn't is because they were concerned of, of his medicals long-term. He played like 12 games the rest of his career, and he broke yeah. down. So there's a reason. Um, Jason Worlds, they had concerns about him long-term. They wanted Jason Worlds, but Worlds wanted to get paid. Tennessee paid him. It, I, I have heard this from a couple different people. He was all but begging the Steelers to match the, the contract offer that Tennessee gave him. He really wanted to play in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh just wasn't going to do it for one reason or another. He signed with Tennessee and retired like two weeks later, and no one's ever heard from him again. So, you know, it, it, my point here is that just because a team is not interested in paying up front without any market comparable uh, a certain amount doesn't mean that they're not interested in keeping him. At the same time, just because he's franchise tagged doesn't mean that they the only compensation the Ravens can get is two first-round picks. The Patriots have done this multiple times. They've tagged guys and traded them for second-round picks before. It's not, the, the value of the quarterback in this position, I understand it's a little bit different, but the main sticking point that you have to remember is Deshaun Watson's contract last year, and with it, Russell Wilson came along not only are they massive guarantee contracts for for extended periods of time they brought with them a generation's worth of draft picks that a team had to lose everyone who reported and came out yesterday after it was announced that the ravens had uh, given lamar the the uh, non-exclusive tag all these teams saying they didn't want him I would argue what they're really saying is we don't want to give up two first round picks. And I'll throw this to you, Lance, because you said this earlier that I I wanted to ask you almost rhetorically. If you didn't have to give up two first round picks, would you want to sign Lamar Jackson? Absolutely. That's the question here. And I I don't, I, I think the market is going to show that again, going back to my point, what I said earlier, it's a quarterback draft. Okay. So you're, you're going to have a tough time getting, the kind of return that you saw Cleveland foolishly give up for Deshaun Watson, which should not have happened. And frankly, I don't care what happens in Baltimore. I don't care about uh, Kenny Pickett's development. The worst quarterback in the division, as far as I'm concerned, and what we saw last year is Deshaun Watson. He was yeah, he awful. Was, yeah, he was not good. He was rust not my good. ass. Okay. No, he had time to, to work the rust off and come off. He looked terrible in his last it game. Didn't go off. You worry about that big time if you're Cleveland. That that could end up being the biggest blunder in the history of sports. I mean, that, that's really really bad. Um, teams have that fresh in their minds, so they're walking into a situation they fully well could want Lamar Jackson. All right, they're not speaking to Congress. They're not even speaking on the record. They're telling Diana Rossini without their names on the report that they're not interested. Six other teams fall in line. Everyone's yelling collusion. They're bargain shopping. This is what teams do. Somebody will be interested in Lamar Jackson, in speaking to Lamar Jackson, finding out about what kind of contract he wants, looking into what type of compensation is necessary. He's going to get dealt at some point. Okay? That's that's my, my bet. I would go with that. He will be traded. Right now, compensation-wise, he's not going to get what – Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson got because of Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson. Two, if he doesn't get traded, he's not playing. Yeah, for sure. And he knew that last year. Whatever contract that he rejected from Baltimore, in rejecting that contract, he has to know he either needs to ball out, go 18-0, win another MVP, and win a Super Bowl, or he needs to expect to be tagged. 
And if he gets tagged and he doesn't want, if he is insistent upon that fully guaranteed contract and he's not getting it when he is tagged, if, if that's not coming to him after uh, uh, the next season that he played on in his fifth year option, he needs to be prepared to go Le'Veon Bell and not play because the yeah. reality is his value isn't getting better. After you get tagged, you're kind of in jail. It's hard to get more of what you want after you get tagged. It's not impossible, and Lamar Jackson certainly could do it, but it's a big risk, especially for a guy that, I, I don't know, my alpha dog, he's playing a playoff game. If that leg has fallen off, he's going to play that game. The fact yeah, that he that, didn't, that, I, I don't know, man. To yeah, me, that, that strongly was... suggests he's not looking to play. And he, if he doesn't have to, and he doesn't, keep in mind, he got the tag. Until he signs the tag, he's not obligated to do anything. But that $32 million sits on the Ravens' cap. And the Ravens are way over the cap right now. A lot of moves they're going to have to make over the next four or five days. You're going to see a lot from them coming because they have to fit all this under. That charge, his, his tag stays on their cap. Whether he signs it is, is a totally different story. If he doesn't sign it, he doesn't have to go to minicamp. He doesn't have to go to training camp. He doesn't have to play. And when I say doesn't have to, I mean he's not going to be penalized. He well, he's be not fine. doing. He's not doing anything. <coughs> he he he's yeah. not doing anything except training in Florida. Yep. That, that 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 that's what he's doing. And not I, getting hit and not, and not getting hit. Yeah. Up miles on the odometer and I, I knowing he's, he's one injury away from a team that would absolutely want to have a quarterback. They have I until think, July to negotiate a long-term deal. And if, yeah. frankly, if they didn't get it done by the tag deadline, there's no reason to think they're going to get it done by July. Yeah, Weirder things have happened, but my yeah. bet is right now he's either traded or he doesn't play this season. Yeah, I think he's out of Baltimore. I think he's – I think you're right. I, I, I mean, I'm hearing Atlanta over and over, but I think he's out. I think he's out of here. I think he's – I think that's happening. I think his time in Baltimore is over – which is great for the Steelers, although the Steelers have played Lamar fairly well and have had some success against Lamar. You know, it's great when you get one former MVP stud quarterback out of your division. Neil, let me ask you this, because I tried to watch the combine. I mean, I really <laughs> tried. I tried to say, okay, I want to give some more in-depth content around uh, the players that are coming out of the draft. I wanted to be able to address uh, Mark Sloss's question, who's your top target, Neil, at 17 now that the combine is over? And we'll get into that at some point. I wanted to be able to have the names the 40 times. But if any guys, if any of you guys saw my short that I put out, if any of you guys know the 40 time of your quarterback, let me guarantee you he can't hit the side of a barn with a football. I mean, it's just I can't I tried, Neil. And honestly, I watched, which was up from last year. It went from 15 seconds to 46 seconds. I watched 46 seconds of the combine. How about you? How much did you watch of the combine? And even if you didn't watch the combine, just break down simply what would be the Steelers' biggest purpose, you know, in going to the combine, and typically what are teams' biggest purposes when they want to go to the when they go to the combine. This is funny because this gets lost in all the rhetoric of of uh, the quasi union battle against the league over control of the combine, which is really what it is. The highest and greatest value of the combine um, is the accessibility of the players. It, it's it's interviewing them you ask any scout any general manager that's what they're going to tell you uh, that the underwear olympics piece of it is for show um the nfl wants it to be a tv event and it, what speaks to that probably more than anything is the league mandates coaches or and or general managers attend the combine and have media sessions that's the only way you can force reporters to go to the combine to cover it while they're there they may as well do all of this and they do it in a town that's it's dead otherwise so they have plenty of accessibility they want to speak to the players and they have a process set up to, to do that um you want to check in on medical you want to see to some degree uh who's probably more appropriately put who is not taking it seriously as in this guy shows up out of shape he's not fit you should 
with a couple months off with training like they should be, you should improve physically from where you were, uh, from what they knew of the player before. He should be perhaps a little bit faster than what they thought that he might be. Uh, he should be a little bit lighter than, than he was. He should you know, be a little bit more, more impressive physically. You want to see that they've put the work in. Um, and you want to sit down and talk to them and get to know them. You're going to do the pro day circuit. You know, that's another, if, if you're Mike Tomlin anyway, um, unfortunately for him, he can only have one dinner at, at a pro day a night. Otherwise I'm sure he'd land every recruit top recruit, wherever Mike Tomlin goes, goes out to dinner with Mike Tomlin. He always makes sure of that. Um, I always enjoy that part. I don't know if we've talked about that or not. I, the, the pro day thing with Tomlin is always a, a lot of fun from a media perspective. Um, <clears throat> He wants to get to know the young men for who they are. He wants to know their level of character. These are things you have to figure out. And you don't get that from a 40 time. Now, is it going to kill you to know what their 40 time is? No. It's just not the end all be all. Because here's the thing. A, a, a lot of people, a lot of, um, it, it, a lot of observers are just learning about this guy being really fast. Scouts know that. They're aware of how fast the guy is. It's literally their job, okay? They need to know how fast this guy can run. Now, are they going to say, no, we don't want this guy because he only runs a 4.49, and I want the guy who runs a 4.42? Probably not, because the difference between 4.49 and 4.42 is really not very much. It, it is a difference. I'm not saying it's not. I'm not saying that it, it, the 4.42 guy is not valuable. They're both pretty damn fast. You're, you're happy with that kind of speed. It's an NFL level speed, but you are not going to rank and file all of them based on uh, this, this one measurement. They want to know who they are as, as people, as young men, as potential leaders, guys that they're going to invest millions of dollars into. Imagine that they want to know who they are. <laughs> you know, it's not just about the physical part of the game. So that is the value of the combine top to bottom. Now, are there a bunch of, of, chumbalones and chowderheads who ask weird questions and do stupid things with the prospects. Yeah. Yeah. These are also typically, and I'm, I, I'm sorry for saying this, but they're meatheads. They're scouts. They're talent evaluators. They're not personnel directors. They're not in charge of interviewing people. They're not there to determine character so much as they are physical prowess. That's their job. When you set people like that loose and let them do whatever, our society shows countless times they're going to do the wrong thing. We still hear about hazing incidents in, in colleges. Knuckleheads are knuckleheads. You know, if, if you don't fix that problem, it's going to continue. Uh, and that, that's probably what they have. But the, the, the combine in and of itself has a, a high level of value. It's just probably not the entertainment product a lot of people want. Uh, to answer your question, though, I didn't watch one second of the combine. <laughs> I read about it constantly because that's my job and it gets grading after a while. I don't need to watch it. There's no point. I don't know why they even bother. They have to take a bath financially on it with the exception of the general managers and or coaches speaking and the players speaking. I don't care. It really doesn't matter. I'll see a list of, of who ran fast, you know, but I'm going to put that all together, go through the pro day stuff as well. It complete a, a, a total picture of a player from my limited perspective because I don't know anything about their character except for what I hear. It's very easy to plant that information. Um, I it, When I formulate my opinion of the prospects the Steelers will look at, it's going to be total and, and comprehensive. It's not going to be based on one measurement at the combine. That's just, you know, shouldn't need to be said. You know, my last thing about the combine, and then I want to jump into – you know, what I think is interesting this year about the draft is you have different people running the draft for the Pittsburgh Steelers, which is the first time that that has occurred in quite a few years uh, with Kevin Colbert stepping down and Omar Khan assuming the reins of GM for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Is there any particular thing that the Steelers do? Is there a Steeler way that they approach the combine that might be uh, unique to them and, and somewhat different than the rest of the league? Is there a stealer way I, in speaking I, of the combine? I doubt it, except um, they have trends um, in, in, in terms of draft picks at certain positions. There are certain things that 
they have typically looked at and looked for. Um, they want they want high character player. I mean, look like cornerback is I can almost guarantee you going to be one of the first three picks that they make in this draft. They want cornerbacks that will will hit, step up, support the run. Um, they'll look for those kinds of things. Um, part of that you don't really get a good sense of it at the combine, but you, you know weight is a part of that. Uh, aggressiveness is a part of it. You look drills and, and see how hard they're working at those sorts of things. Um, I've heard this many times, and I don't know how legitimate it is, but it does make kind of um, fantasy sense. It, the harder the worker, the more willing of a tackler he is. Um, it, again, I, I think that makes sense, but I don't know if I'm going to bet the house on that kind of thing. But they want to see that. They want to, to be able to build their evaluation. Um my bet would be if you got Mike Tomlin in front of Congress under oath, if he has to be honest, if you asked him, he would talk I'm willing, a lot. I'm willing to bet he would he would say he gets infinitely more out of a pro day than he does the combine. Just my guess. That doesn't mean the combine is not relevant. It is absolutely necessary. You need to you don't have the ability to, you know, you have to make it even for everybody. Not everybody can be everywhere at one time. You have to open it up because it's not like they can call up the prospect right now and talk to them. Right. You know? They only have so many opportunities to speak to them. You need to be, you need to keep that open. Now their right. behavior in those interviews remains to, to, you know, be checked and it should be because some of the stuff you hear is flat out ridiculous, but it, that's manageable. You can figure that part out. You still need to have it. Um, I, I would imagine Tomlin feels similarly, but I think Tomlin really likes the more intimate atmosphere, fewer players, and the ability to, to, to chat up on the field with everything that's going on. I don't think he likes the formality of uh, the combine, but it, it is absolutely a necessary evil. It, it's, it's funny that you say that because the combine, I've always viewed it as the club and the pro day is the date. The club, you know, you meet her at the club, and then you really meet her when you take her on a date and you have one-on-one -on -one interaction uh, with her, her being the prospect or the player. You know, the player can catch your eye at the combine, but then you really dig into what that player's character is, what his ability is, and you can really dig in and see if you want to invest more time and make a financial commitment exactly. to said player. It's, it's, it's the most logical thing in the world. If it, you know, people just look at it vastly different for some reason. I, I've never really understood why. Um, it, <clears throat> it's not normal. Our normal working market is not anything like that. There are job fairs and stuff. It's not too different from that if you look at it in, in terms of structure. Uh, the, these kids are vying for a lot of money. And owners, general managers, want to make it as close to accurate a decision as they can. And there's yeah. a lot of things that are up in the air that they're just simply not going to know about. They have to get everything that they can know. And some of that is going to be looking the kid in the eye. Uh, we've, yeah. we've talked about this a bunch. Ozzie Newsom's uh, sit down with Travis Kelsey during that whole process. Um, this is one of my favorite stories. It's not connected to me. I read this, I think, in like Esquire or something a while ago. Um, Travis Kelsey was, a, a, a well, He's a more mature version now of what he was like then. He was kind of a hothead, kind of a meathead when he was in college. He got like seven personal foul penalties his, his last year at Cincinnati. Um, just sort of, you know, a guy that you worry about. Ozzie Newsome, um, they, they had their meeting time with the Ravens set up. And he's in the room, Kelsey is, and Newsome walks in. And it's just Newsome. So one of the most respected, revered general managers in the game, Hall of Fame player, walks in. He writes something on, on a notepad, puts it down, and he kind of gives one of these and then looks Kelsey straight in the eye and says, son, are you an asshole? And Kelsey was just like floored. He was just like, okay, <laughs> nobody's ever asked me that before. And it's Ozzy Newsome <laughs> asking me this. It. it Newsom obviously didn't draft him, and a lot of teams didn't. He was, what, a fourth-round pick, I think, something like that. He had a reputation of being an asshole. So it makes perfect sense that a general manager wants to look him in the eye and see how he reacts to that question. 
maybe it was enough for for Newsom to say no, I don't want him. Maybe they wanted him, but that you know he, they didn't get to take him in the round that they would have taken him in. I, I don't know, but the the point is sometimes you need to look a person in the eye and see who they are, see what they're like when they're asked something that they're not expecting. Um, they have to give what what's referred to as an authentic moment. How authentic are they? Find out a lot of, of, of a person just simply asking questions and, and listening to their words as well as how they're reacting to the question itself. And yeah. I, I would suspect the best general managers know how to do that pretty well. Yeah, there's definitely absolutely value. I mean, if people like myself, although, you know, I'm a 52-year-old long snapper, and of course I have 25 years of experience of perfect snaps, they still want to talk to me. I mean, they, you know. A lot of guys with perfect experience. You know, know, know. they they still want to talk to me. But speaking of the draft process, of course, we have new individuals managing the Steelers draft process. And I'm reading from an article from Mark Bali. And he reported that, and correct me if I'm pronouncing his name wrong, Andy Weedle. Weedle, yeah. And that Weedle's going to put together the board, uh, run the personnel department while getting input from Director of Player Scouting Mark Sadowski and Director of College Scouting Dan Colbert and a Director of Pro Scouting Sheldon White. Um, and, and he further in the article, he went on to say that the Steelers are going to come up with, or Weedle is coming up with, a new way in which he is evaluating players in terms of how he's giving the grade. So I don't think he's giving the grade. uh, And I did have it highlighted in here. He's not doing a grading like in the past, whatever Kevin Colbert used to do. So he's doing something sort of like, is the guy going to be a day one starter, starter potential role player uh, when he identifies and grades a player with this new dynamic setup? How much, I mean, do you think this is a big deal? This is going to be a really big change? Or do you think because the man in charge in terms of Tomlin and Omar Khan that a lot of things are going to be pretty much the same? Or is this going to be kind of a new dynamic uh, going into this process this year? I I think we saw pretty significant change uh, with this organization over the last year. I, I don't think there's much reason for us to think um, nothing different is going to happen. It's just, I don't know if we're sure of what has been the same. Somebody made the comment earlier, they need to, to evaluate what they look for in cornerbacks better than they do. What does that mean? They need to find better cornerbacks. Sure. Everybody does. It's really hard to find good cornerbacks. There are a lot of very average and below average cornerbacks in the NFL. It's not an easy position to play. Um, for example, and I know that I usually get, people's blood pressure raised when I say the name Artie Burns. Artie Burns is still in the league, okay? He's still going to play in the league. He's a big cornerback with experience. He's going to continue to play. It's hard to evaluate the position if your goal is to find an all-pro level corner. Um, For the defense that they're playing now, they probably need more of of a a high-level guy. Um, That's what leads me to believe I, I would think they're going to invest a premium pick in a cornerback. My guess. Uh, I don't know who that is where I sit right now, but the idea is will that be a change on Andy Weidel? By the way, I just listened to a video to, to hear the, the pronunciations. Andy Weidel, not Weedle. Um, is Andy Weidel the assistant general manager, the one that's going to identify the cornerback? I don't know. I, I think it's a team effort, though. I, I don't think any, you know, mock drafters and draft nicks and social media lead you to believe the draft process is something that it is not. Okay. And I'll rant on this come draft day. Cause I always do one person deciding for 32 other teams who they're going to take is the opposite of how the process works. Instead, you've got a hundred people deciding who to take for one team at a time. And all those teams are different. They look at different things. They have different evaluations and they have the insight of, what they're trying to do philosophically with their team for now and for the future. So Weidel is, is absolutely a part of that. And he has a great track record. Philadelphia has run a, a, a excellent war room. They've, they've, they are largely the standard of the NFL right now, along with of course, Kansas city, the team that beat them in the super bowl, but it, Philadelphia has done an excellent job uh, developing their roster and, and Weidel was a big part of that. So 
you're excited about having that sort of, of uh, perspective available to Pittsburgh. That doesn't mean Andy Weidel is the guy that comes in and says, we have to draft a cornerback in the first round. doesn't make sense. You don't draft positions. You draft players. Who's the player that they want? Who's the guy that they're looking at that they have the opportunity to get? That is typically a, a decision that runs through a lot of different people and a lot of different points of emphasis come with that. Speaking of that, Neil, one thing that is going to come up, and I, I like how you broke that down in terms of that this is a significant change in the front office and how things will be done. Yeah, they've never but had what, an assistant general manager before. Yes. Keep that in mind. But one thing that's going to be consistent for sure is the use of a metric we talked about last year on the show that I've seen pop up a little bit more on Twitter is relative athletic score, RAS. And you can go to RAS.football. And RAS is just a measurement. They take different testing numbers and they put it into an algorithm and they come out with the score, 10 being the highest and zero being the lowest. And it's rated within green, yellow, and red. Green being great in terms of the position. Uh, yellow being average, red being terrible. And I'm going to give you some Great RAS. athletically for the position. Athletically for the position, excuse me. And I'm going to give you some RAS scores for some corners who have recently made, uh, well, some of these corners. This is just Pro Bowl corners over the last 25, 30 years. Their RAS scores and them making the Pro Bowl. Byron Jones had an RAS of 10. Mm -hmm. Darrell Revis, who's going to be a Hall of Famer this year, RAS of 10. Rod Woodson. Athlete. Highly underrated athlete, Darrell Revis. RAS, 10. Not surprising. Marshawn Lattimore, 9.99. Carlos Rogers, 9.98. Patrick Sertan, 9.96. Champ Sertan, Bailey. 2, right? Not his dad. 2, yes. Yes, Pat too. Um, Champ Bailey, 9.94 gold jacket. Patrick Peterson, 9.93 eight-time pro bowler. Probably a Hall of Famer. Probably a Hall of Famer. Desmond Trufant, 9.87. Troy Vincent, well. I like 9.85. Five pro bowls. So what you can see is Jalen Ramsey, 9.82 in terms of RAS, five-time pro bowler, Super Bowl champion. Probably a Hall of Famer. So this metric will be used with Weidel uh, and, and the department. And it was interesting to hear that RAS kept popping up on the internet as if it was new. But let me hit, let me get to, to, to some quick hitters real quick, Neil, before we get out of here. Is Jalen Carter on a Steelers, still on a Steelers draft board? <laughs> um, it, no, because there's no way in hell he's falling to 17. I mean, it, it's, we get into the draft board thing again, you know, yes. it, it's, and we are going to get into that again. Every go ahead and just break it down. Real I, quick. I, look, it, some might remember uh, Mike Tomlin had a conversation with uh, Chase Young, the, the Washington defensive end uh, guys, an alien um, on the sideline, his rookie year. And Tomlin was praising him up and down, basically said, this is what the number two overall pick looks like. We didn't even scout you, something to that effect. What he's saying is we have no chance of getting you, so we're not going to waste our time. Time is a finite resource. You only have so much of it. You're paying people on a budget. There's no point in sending a scout out this year to evaluate a player who is that freakish in everything complete and total freak i'd be shocked if he's not the best player in this draft i don't care where he's drafted doesn't matter he is he is going to be a game wrecker there's no point in the steelers drafting at 17 if they you know you don't want to have to trade up from 17 to to two or one to get a, a defensive player you just don't do that that's not the way it works it's a, a huge amount of capital to spend so where he is on their board, it, it, you're acting like they have a, a, a linear board, one through 355. Yes. They don't do that. That's the, it, it's the least efficient way to evaluate anything. You know, how do you compare that? If you're at 17, how do you compare five and eight? What, what's the difference between five and eight at that point? 
You know, we've talked about this a bunch, Lance, because I know you're you're a computer programmer. This is the way it, it works when you're trying to make a decision. You need to have different buckets of information and know what you prioritize over whatever else. And from those buckets are how you make the decision, not just straight list of, of all data and throw a dart at one of them and hope it's the highest one on the board. It doesn't make any sense. So a guy like Jalen Carter would get a first-round grade, I'm sure. <laughs> I don't think anybody wouldn't grade him in the yes. first round. There might be a team that, for what we know today, and I, I don't know, you don't know, nobody really knows, we'll find out, but there might be a team that doesn't like the look of it at all, of, of what he allegedly did. There are some teams that are going to say, yeah, I don't like it, but this guy's a complete freak, and I get paid to win games, not you know conduct church. So we'll take him. We'll keep him in line. And there are teams that are going to say, you know what? I don't want anything to do with this. It's just, it's too close. Um, it's going to set up a bad reputation. What? I don't know. I'm making stuff up. I shouldn't even say that. Um, that might happen, but no. If he was a sixth round prospect, yes. No, no. Jalen Carter's not off anybody's board. There's no way. <laughs> Absolutely no way. That Andy Weidel, using his grading system of day one starter, starter potential role player, <laughs> et cetera. It has him as a day he's, one starter. He's a day one starter. If there's he's a, a day, day earlier than day one, he's one of those starters he's too. A, he's a day zero starter. And big he up is, to Rod he Young. He is an absolute beast. And big up to Rod Young from Montreal, Canada. Rod, can you send me some of those bagels that I heard that Montreal is famous for? The Montreal style bagel. Let me ask you two things real quick. Is this would you consider the 17th pick? And we're going to get to who we think will be the 17th pick. Is the 17th pick sexy? Um, is, she, no. is she cute? Is she no. cute? I, I think you're you're right at the tail end of the viable first round prospects. It's better than 20, which is probably where the cutoff is. That's her sister, um, huh? Is <laughs> maybe depends. <laughs> I've, I've seen. I've seen wide gaps between sisters before. <laughs> you never know. It depends on the draft. In the fifty-second pick, <laughs> I, I think for, you know you have to you have to combine uh, team need as well as what's available in that draft. You know, and you're drafting a player, so your R one bucket is going to be these guys that match up at the positions that you want to invest a, a first round contract into, and depending from there on who's there, you're going to narrow it down to you know four, three, four guys uh you don't know whether they're going to be available though at 17 so you're preparing yourself for every iteration that might happen who you take in what situation um the fact that the Steelers take two seconds or less to make their pick every year in the first round strongly suggests that they have a real good idea who's going to be available and who they want so you know you know you know what I'm interested in Neil I'm wondering if uh anyone gets uh Chase Claypool if we have a Chase Claypool mm -hmm. moment at the draft oh, next man. year. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what. I'm going to break that one out uh, before draft night, uh, probably now for the next 15, 20 years. Um, I, I won't be the only one. I Look, I was dying at the time. I'll go back and find the tweets. I swear <laughs> yeah. I'm the first person that said that because we all due respect, laughing. there were not a whole lot of people in Steeler Nation that knew who George Pickens was. And I was, I, I was COVID-ridden, and I was bouncing off the walls when they were like four picks away and he still hadn't been taken. I was like, it's going to happen. Holy shit, I can't believe George Pickens is going to be available. He should have been gone at like 28. There's no way this guy is available. And in fact, I'm, and then I'm I knew Claypool that. was going. I even tweeted it ahead of the pick. I said, if, if, if Chase Claypool announces the selection of George Pickens, I'm going to die. It's just fantastic because that, that he's that, taking Pickens' that. job or uh, Claypool's job. Andy yeah, did. that was incredible. So we'll have to wait till uh, the second round to see if that's happened. Because I'm sure I would have, I would, I, I would, uh, I would imagine it could be somebody associated I, with Frank. If you're the Steelers, you're not having a player do that again. Just I, yeah, my opinion. You're just not. You shouldn't anyway. I, I, I don't. I don't like that. I think it's unfair to do to the player because um, <laughs> you'll you'll. Uh, inevitably you'll run into that situation and it's literally what happened. So, you know, we'll, we'll miss Franco. Franco announced a, a couple of those second round picks and um, you know, Hey, maybe they can trot Ben out there next year. You know, that you know. something like that would be cool. 
you know, I'm trying to find the scores before we get out of here. But I wanted to ask you, did did you guys originate that article about the uh, facility scores and uh, all the scores with the facility? It, and that the, wasn't us. That was that, that was guys? that was the union. The union. Did oh, okay, that. the union put that out. Um, is it is it is that stuff a big deal? I mean, the I only thing that was I funny to me serious. was that the rats in the shower in Jacksonville. I mean, I found that. Yeah, very funny. I I think it, it's. Like I'm no statistician. In fact, I think you could probably speak to this world better than me. But there's no way that's scientific. You know, you look around; the grades were almost the same for everybody (laughs) in certain areas. They loved the training staff. They hated the facilities. It's really kind of the way that it came in. Nobody had a problem with the travel director of their team. Uh, That seems odd. You know, it's it it just seemed like a really biased um, presentation. Now yeah. I, I'm not I'm not trying to say that they don't have legitimate beef, but for example, um, does the team care about my family, which is how the grade is represented in the survey, is completely different than does the team have have a daycare facility on yes. site where I can bring my children? Two completely different things. Don't don't like and the Steelers. Gotta... The Steelers. I'm not trying to be a homer. Don't tell me they don't care about players' families. And they got don't. a they got a D minus in treatment yeah. of families because they got a, a couple of the players want a daycare. I, I get it. You know, it, maybe they can do that. Maybe that's something they do need to improve. But my cousin actually use, did that. I'm not going to name. To use my a, a subjective letter grade that's used in in academic uh, uh, settings, and to include an F minus, it's like. <laughs> That was That's great. Petty. That's just me, stupid. Me, Come on. Me, I'm not buying it. I, I, I'm sure they're complaining about it because keep in mind, here's, here's the overarching point. Keep in mind, most players are within three years of uh, their, their college days. Colleges use their facilities as a, a point of recruiting. It's competitive. Alabama, Georgia, they're going to have palaces compared to what the NFL will have. They will have vastly better uh, uh, facilities than an NFL team will because the NFL team has to pay for it and they're not getting anything out of it. Free agents don't make the decision to sign for millions of dollars with a team based on their, their facilities. They're just not going to not top to bottom. You can't make a good financial argument for that. Certainly you you should improve those things, but it's not going to be what they had in college for the top level prospects. It's not going to be what they had in college. And they're probably pissed about that. So you mean no rats in the shower? That well, that's another thing. And I don't <laughs> that, know. That that's, was that was hilarious. I don't, I don't want to get into the state of Florida. <laughs> we're we're already over time. I'm, I'm sure that, there are plenty of legitimate gripes yes. about those kinds of things coming out of yes. Jacksonville. But with that, you know, we're going to get on out of here. We went a little bit long today, but it's fine. Uh, and next week we're going to talk about the buckets. You got to bring the buckets back. Because if you're a new listener, we want to talk about the buckets. We talked about the buckets last year in terms of the draft buckets, but we'll bring the buckets back next year. But with that, we are going to conclude the program. And as always, tune in, tell a friend, and subscribe. And Rod, I want some of those bagels. See you.